Canucks Central on an overrated, underrated Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. We are a presentation of Grip, Auto, and Tire. Quality, service, and friendly advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. So check out your local Grip, Auto, and Tire. The Canucks coming off a victory over the Vegas Golden Knights, blowing a 4-2 lead in the third period, but they end up winning it in overtime thanks to Quinn Hughes and Sat. um, That's kind of where we want to start things today because as we talked about yesterday on the pregame show, how are the Canucks going to beat a close-to-full-strength Vegas Golden Knights team? Basically only missing Riley Smith Mm -hmm. off of their roster now. And your point was, well... They need to have the best skater and the better goalie. And they had those things last night. It was Elias Pettersson and Thatcher Demko. And, of course, Quinn Hughes scores the winner. So it was the Stars doing the job. And it's kind of what gave us confidence about this team coming into the year. Like, they've got Quinn Hughes. They've got Elias Pettersson. They've got Thatcher Demko. These guys can carry them to a lot of wins. Well, we knew that if Pettersson just played at the level that we had seen from him, this team should be in competition for the playoffs. The question was, is he going to be able to take a step? Does he take a step and then show us another level that can elevate the team to an even greater height than what we've seen? That was the kind of question we have. None of us really anticipated the steep regression he had earlier for the first half of the season and how much he struggled due to his injury still and everything. And it's not even to make excuses because I know people will text and be like, what about excuses? Whatever the case was, he struggled. He wasn't the same player, and it had a massive impact on this team not winning hockey games early on, plus everything else that was kind of going awry. Now you're starting to see what a peak Pedersen can do. Because in that game, with stars like Jack Eichel, Mark Stone coming off IR, granted, it's always hard when a player comes off injury and he clearly does not look the same, but yeah. Max Pacioretty, Alex Petrangelo, go through the list of players the Golden Knights have. And the best player last night was Pedersen. We knew coming into the season, on any given night, in any given game, he has the capability of being the best player on the ice. And when he is, and he gets saves, you got a pretty good chance of winning. Because yep. you're getting a couple goals when he's on that level, and you know your goalie gets you saves. Now, what really elevated them against Vegas was the amount of goals they got. Because they needed five goals to beat yep. Vegas, even though Demko was good. I mean, Demko was good, and you still needed five goals to win. That, that kind of tells you about the night that it was. But it doesn't happen unless Pedersen goes supernova in the second period like he did. So uh, it's funny, like I get a lot of uh, responses to the the updates of Pedersen's scoring pace uh, post-All-Star break, and uh, people are like, well, it's uh, it's kind of disingenuous to say that. Like, hey, man, it's a statistic. You can treat it however you wish to treat it. But fact is, he is on a heater right now and carrying this team offensively to a certain level. There's... You know, leveling up for Elias Patterson. Let's start there. We'll get to Quinn Hughes as well, who scored last night. There was an interesting comment from Bruce Boudreaux on what Quinn Hughes can do to really evolve his game. So we'll dive into that. But on Elias Patterson, we talk about the penalty killing ability that was showing last night. I mentioned yesterday. You know Pedersen is engaged when he is engaged physically. And you saw him throw like three hits in the first five minutes uh, of that game last night. He was on it. And those are elements that 
when you see them in Pedersen, mm-hmm. you know he is feeling it. Whatever yeah. it is for him, you, you know when he's engaged defensively, engaged physically, you'll start to see his mm-hmm. game kind of really shine through. The value in his game has always been more than just offense. And when he's engaged physically like that, he's making an impact. And he's also having the overall two-way impact he has. And you're right about when he you see the engagement in him he's a different player when he's on oh, yeah. you can just tell right he just kind of comes to life on the ice you it's just what, see it's it. what was so weird about the beginning of the season because he wasn't like it's not just that he wasn't scoring he was invisible in a lot of games yeah and and it, it was a lack of determination it seemed like yeah now going back to it you look at the missed time and the injuries and the lack of confidence and i remember something henrik Sedin told us a while back we asked him what 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 do you do when you have a lack of confidence? How can you battle that? He said, a lack of confidence comes from not being prepared. Yeah. If you're not prepared enough, you're not going to be confident. But if you're prepared, you should remain confident. You go through ups and downs, but you should be feel fine about it. It's clear now when you look back at it, Pedersen didn't, wasn't fully recovered. So even if he was trying to tell himself he felt good about things, you could tell he didn't feel prepared for the season. He didn't play like he was prepared for the season. You could see from the struggles he had. And when you don't have that confidence and you don't have the proper preparation heading into the season for whatever the reason was, the injury obviously playing a big part into it and obviously not being here for the entire training camp, it took so long for him to find his game again. Now that he has at least gives you that assurance. Beyond that, however, how big of a step can he take? And what does that next step look like? Because as much as he's featured on the PK this year, do we view his second season surge as him taking a step as a player or him just getting back to what he was at his peak? That's that's the interesting part here because a 110-point pace is insane. You know, that's about as, as good as we've seen Pedersen from a production standpoint. I, I, I think there's still room for his um, even strength scoring to tick up. A little bit. Obviously, the power play has been on fire, and that's where he's done a lot of damage. Uh, even the, you know, the feed to Pod Colson yesterday, like those are. That's the Pedersen that really excites you yeah. as as a hockey fan that does the unexpected. You know, and there was no hesitation. It was. A fluid motion of him going from I'm faking the one timer and but in his mind he knew he was never going for the one timer. He saw the slap pass opportunity yeah. miles three moves ahead of everybody else he saw that that coming to fruition. And that's the kind of thing that Pedersen was missing mm-hmm. for, for much of the season. The unpredictability in his game, but now that he's got that back, you're seeing the dynamism, you're seeing the production tick up, all of those things are coming together. So what is the next step? Like, what does he have to do in his game to take a further step into true potential wise, the true superstar we think he can be? I mean, when you look at what he's done right now and you say, okay, well, you can play at this type of pace. 110-point pace is ridiculous. But yeah. we're seeing scoring up this season as well, and that's something to kind of factor in. And it's not an entire season sample. It's still a you know relatively small sample 
of that. So you can't just project he would put that up over the season. If he does that over a season, that's taking a step. If he can score 110 points and be good defensively, now we're talking about an elite level superstar, right? That yep. That's what you're at if, if that's the level of production that you take. One thing that I want to see more of, and we saw it, and I'm and he's capable of doing it, the best thing he did against Vegas at home, and there were a lot of incredible things that he did, especially in that second period. Yeah. But him jumping that pass, that mm-hmm. set up the Brad Richardson goal. Like a corner jumping a, a curl route. <laughs> yeah, but you could see it, and just like a corner, like a good DB, he's reading the eyes of yeah. the quarterback, reading the eyes of the guy that's handling the ball. Yeah. In this case, Kolasar has the puck. Kolasar looks over, and even before he motions, to, even before he moves his stick and moves his body to pass, Pedersen sees that he looks over across to his teammate on the other side of the blue line. He stops and and pushes forward and as soon as the pass goes he's there he knocks and it goes he sees that happen before Colasar even goes to make the pass he just reads his eyes that's the type of defensive ability that turns into offense that he is capable of doing and he can do even more and when he's playing at that level of engagement to me if he can play the way I remember when um, Ryan Kessler signed his three-year contract uh, sorry the two-year offer sheet with the Flyers and I remember Dave Nona's talking about it back then saying, you know what, like, he's not worth that right now, but he played about 10 games last year where he was incredible. Yeah. He needs to play 9 out of 10 games like that. If he does that, he'll be worth the money. And that's kind of, look at Pedersen last night. Can Pedersen play that game 8, eight or 9 times out of 10? If he can, that's taking a step. It's... um. <laughs> He's done it against Vegas quite a bit, as as we've seen in the last uh, week. But um, that's the the defensive engagement that really can set him apart. Um, you see it with, you know, McDavid. People will um, talk about his overall defensive game, and yeah, his in zone defending sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired, but. He's a turnover machine. You know, Mm -hmm. he finds ways to stick checks, whatever else. Austin Matthews is the same thing, constantly hunting down pucks. And they have the ability to get to those spots, and they have the ability to win those those pucks. You saw it with uh, Mark Stone, the way he pickpocketed Quinn Hughes last night. You know, he is notorious for being one of the best sticks in the NHL and being able to to win pucks that way. Pedersen, those are little elements, you know, that you, you build off of that create mm-hmm. a lot of big moments on the ice, as we saw with the turnover that he had last night. That, that those yeah. are those are the types of things he's got to get back into his game to really bring back the consistency that he had in his first two seasons. Well, and what that does is it creates such a mismatch as my laptop with, with the broken audio starts going off. I was off like, again. what was that? Yeah, it's, it's a very scary sound. Malfunction! <laughs> my speakers um, are broken, and I have a very old laptop for work. <laughs> and yesterday, you know, a little quick sidebar, I forgot yeah. my uh, charger. At home, and yep. my work laptop is so old now compared to everybody else. Nobody's charger could help me out, so I was SOL yesterday. And the battery is one of those that's like forty-five <laughs> seconds, and then yeah. it's gone. But some it's, laptop you are, yeah, exactly. So, anyways, there's my broken down laptop that that always uh, ends up causing issues. But when he's able to create that type of offense from defense, but when you start putting pressure on the opposition that way, it also changes how a team can play you or has to play you, right? And when you're able to create that type of disruption for a team 
and they have to be aware of where you're at when they play offensively. It also slows them down a beat. It just creates so many other added benefits for your team when Pedersen's on top of his game. It goes beyond just the scoring. That's why we always talk about when he is on his game and doing the things we're talking about. It goes beyond just the points. It goes beyond just the impact he has on his team. It also creates an issue for the opposition that they have to deal with. It was the same thing when they played the Sedins, right? And when the Sedins were really going, this is a level that Pedersen still hasn't gotten to and one day perhaps will get to, is when you're just so utterly dominant game in and game out. Your game plan was how do we just... How do we prevent these guys from having the puck all the time? How do we do that? And yeah. that was all a team would think about. And then you have to worry about Kessler and all those things. But teams couldn't game plan for everything, so other things would open up. And when Pedersen's able to do these things, everything's going to start opening up for other players too. JT's kind of been struggling all of a sudden a bit. When he's had an incredible season, is kind of due for having some sort he's of a bound to have a slump eventually. Eventually here and there. And slump is, is yeah. maybe overstating. Still had a point last night, yeah. Precisely. But... It does open things up for other players on your team when he's going at that level. And that's the other side of things that we start to see evolve as time goes on. There, there's, you know, we could talk all day about like little elements. I think you're starting to see some of them already come into Pedersen's game. The power play is probably uh, where it's it's almost most notable. But looking at how the power play struggled through the early parts of the season and where it is now, obviously that goes hand in hand mm-hmm. with Pedersen struggling through the early part of the season but you remember early on he would get a chance for a one-timer would hesitate take it down think about what he wants to do next then the yeah. next thing you know he's he's lost the puck and the play is just kind of slowed down and as the power play's gotten better you've seen Pedersen be a lot more decisive with what he wants to do when he gets the puck and I think that's really helped the power play puck movement overall when they get their in zone production or uh, sorry their in zone possession and so Pedersen is such a key cog of all that but one thing obviously that he's done is he hasn't just been the one trick pony of the one timer mm-hmm. on the power play lately uh, he's really shown an, an idea of doing things differently. The slap pass last night is a good one. He'll make a quick move. More wrist shots. Too. Yeah, he'll make, instead of the, the one-timer, he'll make a quick move to create an open lane as the defender is mm-hmm. you know cheating towards the, the, the shot block. So he takes it down, instead t- has a wrist shot for an opening there. Like there's just subtle differences that you see him doing that great players and their creativity really start to shine through. So those are things he's already starting to put together that I think will carry through for next year. But I think we all come back to, is he going to beef up a little bit? And how does that help his game with being able to hold on to the puck a little bit more be able to absorb hits, absorb checks, not get knocked off the puck as easily. You've already seen it in season where he's adjusted from where he Mm -hmm. was early on, but is there an extra physical element that he can bring to his game that helps him out long-term? Well, uh, uh, undoubtedly. If he, let's say, adds... Oh, and, and you can't just add 10 pounds over one season. And you, we've talked to players in the past about this. It has to be a gradual build. And you have to keep skating while you're adding your weight. Otherwise, it throws off your quickness and your speed. And, and It's dangerous to do it all at once. You, so you have to really be careful with, with how you do it. So I would have to say that adding weight 
part of it would have, would have to kind of be natural progression for him as mm-hmm. he just gets older and is able to hope, you know, add more weight to his frame and kind of just physically mature more and more as time goes on. And that's just going to be a bit of a gradual process. It's funny. You used to hear uh, running backs, you yes. know, like, oh, I've put, uh, I've put on 15 pounds of muscle. I'm in the best shape of my life. And the guy starts carrying the ball and he looks like cement. Yeah. You know? It's like you're not moving. <laughs> yeah. You're not. It's like that cut. You're not getting out of the backfield. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, once you get through the back, you can, you can push the pocket. Yeah. But you're not beating anybody one on one, right? Yeah. And and that's kind of what one you want to avoid. And so it's something that's going to take time. But as he gets stronger, he won't get knocked off the puck as easily. But more more than anything, it would allow him to drive to the net a bit more. It would allow him to just get better body leverage mm-hmm. and push and force his way into the space he wants to get to. And if he's able to add that layer to his game, well, that adds just another threat because he's willing to do it. He's not afraid of doing it. It's just hard for him to get that done part of it too and this is what we're going to find out as time goes on does he have some limitations just based on his build because it's not that he's skinny because he's actually not as skinny as people think he is if you've seen Pedersen, he's not you know he, he's not as frail as people think he is yeah. like he's you know he's an athlete like he's not that tiny like he's mm-hmm. you know he's a strong athlete. he's definitely put on some muscles since yeah. coming into the league too but he's he has narrow hips. I have narrow hips too, but I'm not six two. Yeah, you know, I'm like five eleven. He's six two. So if you're kind of have you have narrow hips and you're kind of taller, you're not going to have this big, you know, strong base. And the good sturdy hockey players kind of have those tree trunks, right? Yep. You have kind of wider hips. You're able to balance a bit better. So I do wonder if there is some level of limitation from just his build and just how he's shaped. Is he ever going to be super strong on his skates in the, in, in the sense of just being able to carry guys, right? Um, we'll see as time goes on. But I do think that's something he can definitely improve on. If he adds that layer to his game, you're right. It makes a big difference. But it can't take away from his shiftiness. And one thing that you talked a lot about earlier this season that we weren't seeing was that short area bur- burst yeah. that he had. Because, yeah, he's not the most fluid skater, but he's dynamic. Once he gets to its top speed, he's quick. And he does have short area bursts. You don't also want to lose too much of that because that's a big way of getting separation. Because sometimes you get stronger, but then you lose that short area burst. And it's like, well, you're trading one thing off for another. So how much farther are you getting doing that? Yeah, and you need that um, to be able to create uh, a little bit of space for a shot, uh, for an open pass. Whatever that is, that short area burst is huge and you don't want to overwork out and then end yeah. up being like losing those elements of your game because it is so important in this sport where small areas of space can mean a big thing. So I, I think there's a lot there with Elias Pettersson. A couple of texts I want to get to before we go into um, Quinn Hughes a little bit. Pettersson can keep up that pace if he keeps playing against Robin Leonard, the lacrosse goalie, <laughs> by the way, only 18 points in 40 odd games, even strength. Uh, uh, we'll talk about Robin Leonard coming up with uh, Kevin Woodley. Um, Forty just needs to develop his man body. Once he gets his man body in place and his strength that comes from that, he will be even a more dominating force. That's Rocket in Langley. I feel like Rocket in Langley is a big proponent of dad strength. You know, he's a <laughs> he uses dad like old man strength a, a lot in his in his vocabulary. But I get it. Uh, it and, and as we just talked about, those are big big time elements for Elias Patterson. Quinn Hughes. Scores the OT winner last night. After the game, Boudreaux mentions, I think he can do more of that. Mm -hmm. And that got my gears turning a little bit in the idea of 
is that the next step for Quinn Hughes to take? Because he's taken, yeah. I mean, he's been incredible this year, right? Uh, and we don't talk about it enough. But the defensive game, overall, he's really not only got back to where he was in his rookie year, he's taken a step in so many other areas of the game. Is that the next step for Quinn Hughes, who may never be a goal scorer in the way that Kale McCarr has been or mm-hmm. Roman Yossi, but can he tick up to maybe have a career high in the 15-goal range or maybe push 20 one year if, if he really goes for it? Dare I say it's the only part of his game he really has to substantially improve? Yeah. Defensively this year, he's gotten better. He can still get better. He can still get stronger. But at the same time, as we talked about with Pedersen, you don't want him to get so heavy that he's not as fluid a skater either. What's, what makes him so good. And he's, you know, he's not the biggest guy to begin with, right? So you're talking about a guy who's, what, 5'10", maybe? Mm-hmm. Maybe 5'9", but 5'10"-ish. I know he might be come clocking in. He's not as small as some people think he is, but yeah, he's like 5'10". So th- there's only so I mean, so I'm 5'6 on a good day. So, yes. You know. <laughs> on a good day, yeah. yes. If I get a lot of sleep, I'm 5'6". Yeah, so. depending on what shoes you wear, too. <laughs> <laughs> and which lifts. <laughs> and which yes. lifts are in That's going to be uh, the determination. But uh, for him, it, it comes down to the shot. And not only just from his production, how much better does that make your power play? Yeah. If his point shot becomes a threat, how much does that change things? And it might be hard for him to ever have a cannon, but can he just find a way to score more? That shot becoming more of a threat. And that might just be him sometimes taking what he's, what's given to him, the space that's given to him. Just just cheat in. Sometimes yeah. people will work off Quinn. They'll, they'll try to take up the pass to JT away, try to take a one-timer away from uh, Pedersen, try to take away uh, that slot pass sh- to Horvat where you can shoot it. So they're kind of worried about taking those things away. And they'll let Quinn just kind of stay open and try to find yeah. the open man. Why don't you take that space and drive the net? Or try to get that space and get into the slot and take a shot. And may not doesn't have to be a slap shot, but can you take that space and take eyes on one on one and create some disruption? And sometimes you score, sometimes rebound, somebody else scores. But if he takes more initiative and is more assertive and a bit more selfish with his shot and looking for ways to score, it can open up other things as well and makes your power play so much more dynamic. I don't think it has to be something where his shot becomes an absolute like hammer, you no. know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's not necessarily about that. How many guys, you know, we're, we're well past the days of, of Sheldon Surrey or uh, even Adrian Acoin with the big goal scoring year he had uh, here in Vancouver on the power play. Like, the the big bomb from the point isn't what it used to be. But you do have to be goal dangerous yes. to a certain level. Can you score from that position? Yeah. Can you at least make the defense have to think about you scoring from that position? Right? Or you making a move that forces them to defend differently. I think those that is really the element that could take Quinn Hughes's offensive game to another level, which is wild to say, considering how good he already is, getting to a mm-hmm. career high in points already this year with with uh, a few games to go yet. That's the, the one thing, and it's not just about having the hammer from the point. I think the contrast of, in the few games that Quinn has missed, and OEL jumps onto the top power play unit, he has more of a willingness to shoot, mm-hmm. more of an understanding of when to shoot, how to get shots through. Uh, 
that's the one element OEL brings to the top power play unit that is a contrast to something Quinn doesn't have as much of. Yeah, and I do think part of next season, and we talked a lot about this, is trying to get more out of OEL. And is there a world where they experiment with both those guys on the power play and see if that's something they can work on in the first unit? But that's something that I think they'll tackle in the offseason heading to next season. But if Quinn can say... So he was on pace to score, what, 10 goals his yeah. rookie season? He's got six this year in 68 games. So that's, what, 70 goals in a year. How much different is the discussion if he scores, say, 12 to 15? I'm not even sitting here saying score 20. Yeah. Or, and you're seeing defensemen nowadays get up to 30, and McCarr and Yossi and these guys are doing incredible things. But just to get to 12 to 15, can he get to that 12 to 15 range? Because... He's shown he's capable of getting to the 10 range, potentially. When you're at 8 at 68, that's close, right? He's capable of getting there. Can you get, instead of being a, say, 6 or 8 to 10 goal scorer, can you be a 10 to 15, 12 to 15? Yeah. It may only sound like 5 or 6 goals or 7 goals, but it does make a big difference at the end of the season, especially with how teams have to play you on the power play. Yeah, and, and how, um, you know, the, the, the game is going, you know. More and more teams want goals from their defensemen. And I think that is really the next step for Quinn to take. Uh, Night Street Mike, Hughes is a point guard, not a shooting guard. Apples, oranges, all teams need both. Uh, This one regarding Quinn's size. What do you mean? Hughes is a huge beast. Did you see him toss Eichel before scoring? <laughs> Eichel was, he just tossed him like it was nothing. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> that was a bit of a dive from Eichel, I'd say. Uh, a little bit, a little maybe. Bit. Uh, does Eichel know that you don't get uh, calls in overtime that easily? Mm, I guess not. Well, the, I mean, he, at, yeah. At the same time, if that happened at the other end of the rink on the game-winning goal, Canucks fans probably would have been pretty upset. Probably. I think so. Yeah. Well, and, you know, as as far as Hughes is, and, you know, and even what Night Street Mike says about he's a point guard and not a shooting guard, point guards do shoot, though. Yeah. You know what good point guards are able to do? Shoot threes. Mm-hmm. You can't have a point guard that's like Marco Rubio anymore. No. If you can't shoot, it doesn't matter. The game's evolved. And that's part of the thing here, too, about power play quarterbacks. The game's evolved. If you're just a distributor, that's fine. But you got to be able to add a bit more. you got to add a bit of a threat. And if you're a point guard that can't shoot threes in the NBA now, no matter how good you are, you won't be considered an elite, one of the best point guards. You have to be able to be a threat with your shot, even if you don't score 20 points a game, right? So yeah. I think that's part of it as well. But here's what Boudreaux had to say when talking about Quinn Hughes in overtime and him shooting more. We've been getting scored on in the first shift the whole time, so we wanted to change it change it up. Last game, I changed it up and didn't put Miller on till the third shift, and uh, but we're running low on bodies today, so uh, that was uh, Bruce Boudreaux and why he yeah it started OEL yeah. instead of Quinn Hughes on the power and play, that's my on, bad in overtime. I, I was trying to get the clip and it was not the right one. I told Eddie to get, but the, what he said was just a paraphrase. Quinn Hughes can shoot more because if he shoots more, he becomes a better player and he becomes a more dangerous, more complete player. He's great at passing the puck, but if he can sh- if he can score a bit more, he he becomes a better player and he helps the team more. When I uh, not that many years ago, but uh, when I covered soccer more often um, in my younger days in the business, you talk to um, coaches and they talk about midfielders in a very similar way. Like it's great that he can pass and and do all these different things, but we need more of an element Mm -hmm. of being goal dangerous from that area of the field. And uh, the reference was to Canadian international, Jonathan Osorio. And he clearly added that part to his game as he's gotten older. 
um, I, I think that's kind of what you're looking at with Quinn Hughes. It's not mm-hmm. like we need a ton. We just like a few more, and that really helps out so many different areas of our game. Yeah, well, a, a holding midfielder that can't connect uh, the ball up from your defense to yeah. your offense doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Not in, not in modern football. No. You, you got to be more goal dangerous from every position. Yeah. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Coming up next, uh, Kevin Woodley uh, on uh, Robin Leonard's performance last night. Uh, we'll talk about that and more on Canuck Central. Canuck Central, we are a presentation of Grip Auto and Tire, your local Grip Auto and Tire. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. A couple of texts rolling in at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Have you seen a Rathbone shot from the point? Slap and wrist are elite. That's uh, unsigned text. Also, uh, how is nobody giving credit to Jim Benning for how good this team has been playing and absolutely no player changes? Sam and Lake Cowichan. Well, let, let the job be finished first. Yeah. And then, I mean, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, we we really don't have to go into it. Uh, that's, that's the best part about this is uh, kind of speaks for itself um, how this team has played. They're playing fantastic under, uh, under Bruce Boudreaux, better than uh, all expectations. But at the same time, they, uh, still have some very clear flaws on the roster. Yeah, and there's a lot of things they have to do to get better, and you give credit to a lot of their star players. And, you know, when it's all said and done, there, there will be a lot of things Benning gets credit for. There will be things he obviously will be on, on the negative side of his tenure here. But you look at Pedersen, look at Hughes, and how he uh, and his tenure, the guys they found, you have to get credit to that, right? But, you know, at the same time, it goes beyond just team build. The reason that regime had to change, especially from Benning's leadership, is because of the leadership overall in the organization. It's more than just what happened on the ice over the years and things falling apart. And that's ultimately what the organization was getting at when they made the changes. What does Stan, Stan Smeal say? Yep. We need a big cultural change within the organization. Others said the same thing. They needed a reset, and that's what it was about more than anything else. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Kevin Woodley. joins us every Wednesday in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Woodley, what's happening? Not much. I'd just like to go on the record that if uh, I am perfect through the through first seven-ninths of this <laughs> appearance, I will be hanging up and exiting. Count. Okay, so uh, you know we've talked about uh, your your uh, your love for baseball, visiting uh, all thirty ballparks uh, as a, as a younger Kevin Woodley. Um, what what do you feel about Clayton Kershaw being taken out after seven perfect innings today with eighty pitches, no less? I uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't say how I really feel, but <laughs> <laughs> like well, because this is a family program, but um, yeah. I, I, I get it. Like I get all the, I get the analytics. He he's more important to them and their overall goals long term. And doing anything to jeopardize that, including a chance at history, I get the hesitation, especially this early in the season. Um, I think we lost uh, the Yankees as well, right? Yeah. Like so, it's you know, it's kind of. I get it, but man, it's painful. Man, it takes a lot of the joy. Like how many people would have been tuning into that game? Like as it was going on, because that's those are one of those ones where you see the buzz on Twitter and everybody tries to find 
if it's on a station they can watch and to miss out on that opportunity just kind of I don't know it just feels wrong and yet I fully understand why so there we are sitting on the fence do you buy into the whole notion of we were happier watching sports like 30 years ago, 20 years ago when we didn't know as much? <laughs> yeah, I can see some of that. I, I listen. I, I get. I get some of that. Like um, you know, some of the some some of the narrative based stuff as opposed to digging deep into the numbers and the reasons why. I'm, I'm like, let's be honest. Anybody's learn, listen to me talk on on this show or anyone else knows that like nobody digs in. Nobody digs the minutia. More than I do, uh, especially when it comes to goaltending. Like, I'm all about those small details and why they matter. Um, but maybe it's because baseball's not a sport I cover. I kind of, you know, long for the days of <laughs> simpler storylines <laughs> and um, easier, you know, more exciting uh, results and out- outcomes than what we saw today, that's for sure. But, hey, listen, like, it's got us talking. Yeah, hated, it's got us talking. Every everybody knows how uh, Clayton Kershaw did in his first start of uh, of the 2022 Major League Baseball season. Uh, Woodley, we're gonna just quickly reconnect. Your phone's cutting in uh, in and out a little bit, so uh, we'll uh, we'll get Eddie to reconnect with uh, with Kevin Woodley. Uh, it's it's kind of funny, like, but we used to kind of feel not that pitch counts are a thing in hockey, but of course. Uh, um, Nobody is going 70-plus games in net anymore in an NHL season. Like, no goalie is going 70-plus games yeah. in net the way Martin Brodeur used to every season. Now, part of that also is a byproduct of how the game is being played, yeah. too. And it's so much faster, and, you know, there's more strain on the position with how goalies play as well. A lot more east-west movement. But but you are right. And the main big reason, to why we don't see that happen is the science behind everything. And, you know, yeah. understanding what's optimal, what's not optimal. At least having a better grasp of it now than you did, say, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, uh, Woodley, just as uh, we were reconnecting with you, there i i made the point like it's it's kind of like pitch counts uh, I, I guess but there's no way in, in, in any hockey team is is rolling out a goalie for 70 plus games in the same way that they used to yeah no no and and that's that's true right like um and there are probably some guys that that say i can play more i can do more and yet you know we're you're looking long terms like yeah you can maybe you can play an extra five to ten games in the regular season but again, the the point and this and all the sports science that backs it up is what have we got left out of that goaltender when the games really matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, if you look at that same uh, scenario today uh, with Kershaw and take that long view, like yeah, like chance at history. But what do we do to him long term? What do we risk by rolling him out there that much longer? So I, I fully I fully understand it. Doesn't mean I love it. You know, in some ways, that's what I love uh, about goaltending. Um, we can still have those moments of creativity and brilliance that goes well outside, you know, all the technical uh, breakdowns and all the, you know, what perfect biomechanics would look like and, you know, what proper tracking looks like. Like, it, like it, the game's just so dynamic in front of these guys mm-hmm. that you can't play it perfectly. Yeah. So you, you know, we celebrate the goaltenders that can give us individual brilliance, the ones that can create new waves to make a save uh, in the moment. You know, I think of Demko and, and the couple of Scorpion saves he's had this year. Like, you can still have the science, and yet beyond that, enjoy the moments of artistry that we see um, 
on top of it, right? Like the science, the technique, the, the tactical, that provides mm-hmm. your foundation for consistency. But if you don't have that ability to become an artist in the moment as a goaltender, um, that technical side probably isn't enough, probably isn't enough to even make the NHL, let alone excel at it. Yeah, no question. And, you know, with the Canucks now the rest of the season, they have eight games remaining in, what, 15 uh, days that remain on the season. And Thatcher Demko essentially probably has to play all of them, or at least seven of them, and that's including uh, at least one back-to-back. We have two back-to-backs coming up, the first one being April 18 and 19, next Monday, Tuesday, with Dallas and Ottawa, and then later this season with uh, L.A. and Edmonton to close out the year. And those two, I guess, really depend on where you are in the standings. But when we look at Vancouver, and whether we like it or not, they've pushed themselves back into that you know playoff race. And you start gauging the goaltenders of the teams in that playoff race. How does Demko stack up, and does that give the Canucks an advantage, even with how tough the schedule is game wise in days? Well, I know who I'm picking out of the group. Like you know, look, look, we talked about this before with the Kings. Uh, you know, I talked about it. I think as much as three weeks ago as their slide started. Um, you know, that's a team that, and I know they're missing key personnel, obviously, on the back end, especially with Dowdy out again, but that's a team that has been incredible defensively. As a matter of fact, there's, you know, I pointed this out in my uh, Edmonton radio station hits, like they quite a juxtaposition there for all the um, sort of hand-wringing over what Todd McClellan couldn't do with an Oilers lineup as a coach, especially when it came to keeping the puck out of the net and defending better. Like he's done that. And I guess maybe when your first two centers are Kopitar and Deneau instead of, um, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's a different mix and a, you know, different style of play. But they've been an elite defensive team, and they've been undone, frankly, by, you know, below-expected goaltending most of the season. Both guys have gotten on rolls at times, but neither guy has been consistent. And at the end of the day, neither guy is above, you know, their expected environment. They're both you know, underwater with negative numbers. So, you know, I'm definitely picking Demko ahead of that. Uh, I look at Dallas and, you know, it's funny. I, I sort of had Scott Wedgwood as my, you know, sleeper trade deadline acquisition. And he might actually be the guy that if the Canucks do continue this run, he might be the guy that keeps them out. What fourth round pick he's played four games. He beat Carolina with 44 saves. He got an overtime point. Uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs facing over 40 shots. Um, you know, he got some help beating the Sharks, and he shut out the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning last night in a one nothing game. Like, since arriving there, he's gotten them seven out of eight points, and, and arguably in at least three of those games, not points or not games where you'd expect them to get any. So, um, But outside of that, like, who, who are you picking in this race? Like, we saw Robin Lehner last night. Mm-hmm. He's been decent since he came back in his other two starts, but against the Canucks... Like, I thought I was watching, you know, with all due respect, there were moments there where it's, it was like watching early swim lessons, right? Like, just like breaststroke and flailing and not what, you know, that is not Robin Lehner at his best. And, you know, I look at all the time he missed and the fact that he struggled like this coming back. I'm a little bit surprised and I'll be curious to see how they manage that going forward. Because Logan Thompson was producing like and playing at a top three in the NHL level when Laner came back, and he hasn't seen the net, net since. It's been Laner ever since. So, um, you know, some question marks there as Robin tries to reestablish his game and get his feet under him rather than spread out behind him with his belly on the ice. Um, you know, so I, I don't know that there's anyone in that mix that I would pick ahead of Thatcher Demko. As a matter of fact, I know there's not. And I guess the question will be um, those other guys play behind teams that are a little more supportive. Will it be enough? 
Uh, Kevin Woodley, our guest in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. So we've already had a ton of comments about Robin Leonard on the Dunbar Lumber text line today, making people making comments of of just how, um, uh, to put it nicely, yeah. awkward he looked last night. Yeah, he was on that. Like uh, you don't want to judge him. He's been for the most part good this season, but he he has not been good in these past couple games against the Canucks. There's, you know, I, I don't mean to pick on him, but it it's just not pretty. Like it just was not. You know, stylistically or results-wise, it was not pretty goaltending. So is is Vegas um, making a mistake in goal then um, right now? Well, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue because of what Robin Lehner has done. I mean, this guy's a, a Vesna Trophy finalist, what, two of the three previous seasons. Mm-hmm. And for all the attention Marc-Andre Fleury got, once Lehner was healthy down the stretch last year, like they went back and forth in a straight rotation for the final two months of the season. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I don't think either one of them like lost in regulation for the longest time. They posted ridiculous numbers. And it was easy to overlook that, that the fact that Laner was just as good as Fleury down that stretch. He just didn't have the start that Marc-Andre did, and he didn't get the games because of injury. Um, so I know he's capable of more and better than what we saw last night. But, it's again, it's, it's kind of hard to look at that performance and how out of sorts he looked and look at how Logan Thompson's numbers were at least. I didn't get to watch every game, but some of the performances I saw, I mean, again, it was Seattle in a couple of them, and they're not exactly lighting uh, teams up offensively. But, you know, especially on a night like last night where where their goals are just, you know, it just just feels like they, they they had a better option. And as hard as that is to say for a rookie in his first year ahead of Robin Lehner, um... If you see more of what you saw last night from Robin over the next couple of games, I wouldn't be surprised if they mixed Logan Thompson back into this rotation at some point. Because um, we know that Laner will wear down with time. Um, so, yeah, it's, I don't have the answer other than it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Because based on results recently um, and recent form and watching the two play, it's easy to make an argument that the better goalie wasn't in net last night. And that's a pretty big, bold statement considering the two names we're talking about are Logan Thompson and Robin Lehner. Yeah. So um, you got to hope he just kind of finds his form. If not, though, I don't know how long you, I don't know how long you can keep rolling him out there if that's what it ends up looking like. You, I mean, you're not wrong about that at all. The one thing I will say, though, about Vegas defensively they're a bit of a disaster especially last night some of the things they did defensively that kind of cost them and the spot to put Leonard and as good as they were offensively that's a team that every once in a while looks like they don't know what they're doing in their own end I would argue it's more than every once in a while that yeah. they're a team that has leaned heavily on goaltending for the past couple of seasons um, that's the reason that Marc-Andre Fleury was full value for the Vesna Trophy last year like they're they kind of remind me of the Canucks in a way just just like the Canucks are the, like the light version. They have big names on defense, but they don't defend well. And they haven't defended well for a couple of years. They're, whether it's Fleury or Laner, for the past couple of years, they've had some of the lowest expected save percentage numbers in the league based on clear side analytics. So you're right. Like the eye test matches the analytics. That's a team that gives up way too much. That's a team that relies heavily on goaltending. That's a team that I was very happy to bet on losing to the Minnesota Wild at the beginning of last year's playoffs. And frankly, I would have been right if not for Marc-Andre Fleury's brilliance in the first four games of that series to stake them to a 3-1 lead. Like, they shouldn't have been up there. But it was all these point-blank grade-A chances that Fleury was stopping 
that was the difference in that series, I, I would suggest long term you continue to give those up, and they have, and we saw it the last couple of games against Vancouver, they do. Um, you know, they're not a team. It's funny because everyone's kind of like, oh, if they get healthy, if they get healthy, nobody wants them in the first round. And I get that narrative. But on the defensive side of the puck, I don't think it's accurate. I think they're a team that, based on those underlying numbers, would be ripe for a first-round exit. It's... um. It, it is interesting when you think about the playoffs. I mean, uh, for forever we uh, have always looked at you, you got to have one guy. You got to have one guy. Um, with more and more teams having, um, you know, almost a split. Do we? Is this the year we finally see uh, goaltenders rotating in the playoffs? Well, probably not. But I can dream every year. Last year, I thought it was going to be Laner. I thought for sure it was going to be Laner and Flurry, right? Like, they literally alternated every game for the last six weeks of the season and had incredible success. And I still think that if you gave Pete DeBoer a dose of truth serum and asked him this question, he would admit, admit that that was at least, if not the plan, under strong consideration going into the playoffs last year. The problem was, as I just mentioned, like, Flurry in the first game against the Wild. Must have had, if I remember correctly, it was like double-digit grade A, like high percentage chances, and he stopped them all. And so this is the issue. Even if you have an alternating rotation that's working beautifully, how do you not go back to the guy yeah. who plays game one as well as that? And like I said, it staked them to a 3-1 series lead they did not deserve. Almost cost him the series go because as they kept going back to him, his numbers dropped off, his performances got worse, and I think again, if if you were to give some truth serum, they may admit that they would have liked to have gone back to the rotation sooner than they did. Because remember, the season ended with them going back and forth with those two guys. So um, especially with the older goalies, uh, you, you'd think there's value there. Maybe we see it in Boston this year. I mean, Linus Allmark. Um, and Jeremy Swayman have done a lot of rotating. Uh, maybe we see it in Minnesota again with Marc Andre Fleury. Him and Cam Talbot are going back and forth right now, and both of them are having exceptional results. Like if it works, as much as the temptation is, oh, this guy won, we got to go back to him. Well, all season long, or at least the, down the stretch last year, and now down the stretch this year with Minnesota, you didn't. And you still won. You didn't have to go back to him. You went to Talbot, and he won. You went back to Fleury, and he won. You went back to Talbot, and he pitched a shutout. Like, it's working this way. Why, especially when we saw Marc-Andre Fleury break down as the playoffs went on last year, why would you feel compelled to absolutely have to play him every game? If it's worked to this point, why can't it keep working? And yet I expect that, um, sadly for me, uh, the coaches will just feel that pressure to, well, win and you're in mentality. And, and I guess I get it. I mean, we haven't seen a tandem actually win coast to coast in the playoffs. The last time I, you know, I want to say it was late nineties um, with the devil's affiliate. I think they were in Albany at the time. Uh, they literally went back and forth throughout the entire playoff season and won a Calder cup championship. And so the fact it's been 20 plus years since we've seen it means we probably won't. But at least this year we have two strong candidates for that, whereas last year we just had one. So I, I increasingly as we go to tandems versus one and, you know, star and, and appear backup, uh, I get my hopes up every year. We'll see if it happens. Uh, Woodley, I wish we had more time. Thanks for this today. Yeah, m- my pleasure. I, I didn't get to leave early because my phone sucked at the beginning. But. <laughs> but you still ended up giving us a good strong seven innings. 
Yes, I, I, I appreciate that. That was not quite Clayton Kershaw perfect, but, you know, I'm, I scattered my seven hits over those seven innings, and no runs were scored. Thank God. Perfect. Uh, thanks for this, Woodley, as always. Thanks, guys. Uh, there he is, Kevin Woodley, In Gold Magazine and NHL.com. Um, I, I do want to talk about the Kershaw thing a little bit more, but we'll, we'll save it for overrated underrated. Ooh, I like. I uh, did want to uh, give this update. Last night was the Canucks for Kids Fund Telethon. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just announced that the telethon presented by TD was one of the most successful ever, raising $683,114 thanks to the tremendous support from fans, partners, and people across BC. So to all those uh, that continue to support, uh, it is uh, much appreciated for the great Canucks for Kids Fund and the telethon from last night. Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up. Irfan Gafar will join us and we will uh, get into more Canucks discussion next on Canucks Central Sportsnet 650.